Hello again, everybody. Nate here again. We did another weekly podcast, which you are about to get to hear. Lucky for you. But before we'll get the announcements out of the way in the beginning, and I don't actually really have one except for the fact that uh, we have some new products that are going to be hosted by Breakout Apparel, and you can go to the Queue It Up Network page and check those out. We made a post about it yesterday, which would be the 18th. So just go to the Queue It Up Network page, scroll down until you see it. Uh, there are some really awesome, unique items that uh, they look just absolutely amazing, and they're super high quality, and everything about them is awesome. So if you would like to get yourself some limited edition amazing gear for Breakout Apparel, that is, of course, Queue It Up themed, uh, head over there and check it out. You could also go to Breakout Apparel uh, website and check it out there as well. And while you're at the Queue It Up page, this is going to be, uh, I don't know, a bit of a challenge, but uh, a bit of a just an ask you to help us out. So uh, head over to the Queue It Up podcast page, and if you scroll down just a little bit, you're going to see a bunch of different tabs. Uh, you can scroll left and right on those. Some of those are like home and video and stuff like that. You need to find the community one. S- press on the community tab, and then up will come a page that you can scroll down just a little bit and see invite friends. If you click invite friends and then go to select all and then press send invites, you are going to win yourself a free patch just for doing it. So step one, go to the queue it up page, navigate to the community tab, invite all your friends, and then send a message to the queue it up podcast page with your address and I will ship you out a free patch and you should get it by hopefully the beginning of next week. Uh, I am flying to Mexico on Friday with my wife to do, uh, I guess, a nice vacation. A friend of mine from college is getting married and they're doing a destination wedding. So we are going to be in Mexico all next week. So I will try to get it shipped out before then. But please, 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 this is actually a really, 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 really helpful way to help us grow the the podcast page. Probably the best way that you could do it. Uh, So please, please, please head over and do that. You'll get yourself a free patch. And uh, I'm actually going to select one lucky winner who is also going to win a free queue it up hoodie as well so one of the people who do this uh is going to win a free hoodie as well and if you already have a queue it up hoodie then i will promise to make it worth your while by sending you maybe a sign ball from uh, a famous player whether it's albin ocean jason shaw sky woodward shane van boning somebody like that i'll give you basically the opportunity to select who you want a signed ball from so it's free to do. It's super easy to do. All you got to do is head over to the, like I said, the Facebook page, go to the community tab, and then click invite friends, and you're done. You'll get yourself a free patch. Well, and then send a message to me saying that you did it and that uh, here's my address, and you'll be entered in to win some stuff. So I guess with, uh, with that out of the way, let me just get uh, jumping right into this podcast that we did today. I'm a real deal. I'll shoot your liver out and hand it to you. Podcast, live stream, extravaganza. So uh, we've got a little experiment running today because in the future, you know, Nate Mindham has a lot of travel. He's following around the, you know, different things. We're giving so, him the boot. <laughs> yeah. So next week, next week, Nate's not going to be available. And so he, he's asking me to kind of try to keep the thing going. So this by week, vote. yeah, by this vote, week is my, going to be available. Yeah. This week is going to be my test run to see if I have what it takes 
to keep this thing from imploding. So with that, I will welcome our host, our former host, Nate Mendham. Nate, good to have you. Thanks for joining our podcast. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to be sitting on a beach in Mexico doing the show from a beach in Mexico. So, Demetrius, you get to do all this so I can enjoy myself. That's Thanks, right. Buddy. That's right. Leading from Where the... Where are you going, buddy? Uh, a little bit south of Cancun. It's like a... Basically, basically it's uh, Cancun, but it's a oh, little nice. south of there. I, I don't remember what the actual city is. All well, you know, I'll be drunk for most of it. Uh, I might remember some of it. I'm going to go swimming with the turtles. And uh, does anybody, Mike, do you ever watch any of The Office? I would assume not. No, I don't. I wish I had time to watch TV, man. It must be nice. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> my, my, wife, my, my wife has uh, dragged me into being a TV watcher when I go to sleep. I never used to watch TV before, Ben. But apparently she can't go to sleep without it uh, or struggles to. So the TV's always got to be on. And that's like the one thing that we can decide that uh, like that's where we negotiated was what are we going to watch when we go to sleep. And The Office is the only TV show that I've ever watched that I don't hate immediately. So uh, we watch a lot of The Office. And there's a scene in The Office where like uh, basically Michael, the guy who's in charge, gives a gift basket to a former client. And uh, it has some turtles in it, some chocolate turtles. And my wife sends me the gif of uh, of Michael screaming, where are the turtles? And she's like, Nate, immediately once he gets into scuba diving with the turtles. So I think it's really <laughs> funny. Well, I, and I'm, I just want to point one thing out is that we've been um, I've been jumping in on this podcast for coming up on two years. And uh, we have yet to take a podcast uh, trip to Cancun. So I'm just planting seeds, you know, a little morale stuff. So uh, anyway, OK. <laughs> Mike, the invite, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, like, uh, yeah. Welcome, Melina. Mike, how's it going this week? How you doing? It's going good. I missed you guys last week, man. Yeah, yeah. Last Ohio time. Yeah. So uh, where are you at right now? Where are you reporting from? Are you on the I'm road? I'm back or at home. No, no, I'm back at home. I was debating whether or not to go to the international uh, hmm. or go to Chip and, and um, uh, Chip and Scott, but I don't know, man. I spent so much time on the road the last few months, so I'm just I'm enjoying being home. I tell you, just yeah. waking up my own bed. There's <laughs> nothing like it. So, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about, man. A lot of stuff going on. Pool 14.1 starts today. Um, yeah. Chip and Scott start today. A lot of big events just finished up. So I'm ready, man. Let's jump into it. Sounds good. So here's uh, what we've got on the docket today. Is we've got oh here I got to get the chat overlay going. Uh, did that work? Okay, so uh, we've got. Pia Filler uh, versus April Larson. We've got a recap. That's a recap. That's already happened. We've got a recap. Talk a little bit about the Ohio Open. Uh, and then we've got coming up uh, Scott Frost versus Chip Compton. And then another match that Mike wanted to talk a little bit about that I'm not too familiar with. So uh, I think we're going to kick off uh, with some of the matches you know, that we're going to recap or talk about. Is, uh, one of them was uh, this race to 50 with Pia Filler versus April Larson. And so, uh, you know, that was, it was cool. They, now these, these, uh, two had played a ghost challenge match last year, right? Where they played against the ghost and it was raced to 50 racks and Pia had won that, but that's not, it wasn't a heads up format face to face. So this time, you know, we now we've got was, vaccines, we've got whatever. Was that, was that, was that, was that a race to 50 or was it the first person? Oh yeah. Yeah. It probably was just 50 racks and then no, no, no. I, I don't, you know what? I don't remember. I just remember I the number 50. That. Yeah, maybe so it, was, it has something yeah, to do with was, 50. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the, the shortest amount of time it took to get to 50, but I, I might be wrong on that too. So, or in any case, 
they just played a race to 50 and Pia Filler ended up, uh, ended up winning that one. Uh, let's see here. And I don't, I'll tell you what, I have a vague, ra- I didn't watch it. I just went back and kind of like, uh, looked at the, you know, looked at some of the racks afterwards. Cause it was uh, on Facebook. What was the final score? It was 50 to who knows the final score. I, I should have for 34. So that sounds pretty lopsided, but if I remember right, like Pia got a pretty good lead, like a nine game lead on day one, 25, 16, I think. And then at one point, April came back and it was only like a four game difference. And then, and then, uh, Pia kind of ran away with it a little bit. Is that, so at, is that, yeah. At one point in time, Pia was up three to two. And the next time that, or no, four to three, I think, four to three. And the next time that, uh, April basically got a look at the table, it was 17 to three. So it was basically, uh, in there, she ran so many racks. I mean, she was doing that soft break and the balls were just kind of like the one ball barely got up table. She was trying to float it over the top right pocket. So she was hitting the rack just hard enough to get the, basically the one ball up table. And she was running off from everywhere for a, for a stretch, uh, a time where she had a breakdown and it was, it was incredible. And then the, uh, and on the last day, I, I believe that the score was right around 33 to 27 to 29, somewhere in there where April got it back to really close. And then we all know what the final score was because we just said it. So basically uh, Pia went on like a 15 to three or four run to close out the tournament. Yeah. So, um, so we're, you know, when we start with something like this, I, I don't know where else to start except for the break shot, because I think that had a tremendous uh, it was a tremendous factor. Um, I, it seems like anytime we talk about a rotation game matchup, we got to talk about the break. So the rules, this was very, actually, it was similar to the U S open rules in the sense that it was one on the spot break from anywhere, uh, no three point rule. And this time, you know, template rack. And then there was two things that made it even easier. There was no requirement for a firm break and they allowed pattern racking. So what Pia was doing that it's like, would you guys agree that you can't possibly make a softer break rules than the ones that they were using? Would you guys agree with that? Maybe, four, yeah. maybe like six inch pockets. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. So I don't even know if it would change anything. Cause what happened? So here's the break for those who haven't done this. I have played with these break rules before uh, at the U S open bar table championship. They used these rules and they did not enforce any kind of no pattern rack or no hard breaks. So what happens is we were breaking just like Pia, you would roll onto the head ball. With like, I, you know, just like a medium, like maybe hard enough to shoot like a really soft stop shot if you had a really low tip. Anyway, like a very soft to medium roll. And the wing ball would go in. It's dead. And then everything kind of floats apart. You play the one ball on the breaker side of the side pocket. And you hit it easy enough that there's no way to get hooked because nothing else can even bounce around the table and get in the way. You just float the rack open, make the wing ball, put the one in front of the corner, and the cue ball just hits and kind of like rolls into the rack and stops. So you've always got a shot at the one in the top left corner, and then everything's kind of floated open. Uh, you know, once in a while, because of the soft break, sometimes there's a little bit of a pocket blocked here or something with one of the balls, might only have one pocket to go in. But there's because of the magic rack and the polished balls and the fast cloth and rails, there's no clusters. There's no, there's usually like seven or eight balls on the table that are floated apart. And because, because she's pattern racking, she sets them up to where, each one kind of leads to the next. And so in that format, what does that do to the game? Nate, uh, Mike, why don't you jump in? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that type of a, a rack? Like, what does that do it's to the It's brutal. Ball? It's brutal to watch. I can't, I can't fade it. I can't. Now, 
listen, there's some talent there. Don't get me wrong. And a lot of it, because you got to be able to execute. And Pia is a professional. And not just that, but she's kind of got an ace up her sleeve, doesn't she, boys? And having hmm. one, one of the best uh, pull minds on planet Earth right now uh, in her back pocket in Josh Filler. Um, yep. as, as tough as it is to watch, I've always said this, man. It's the break in the rack is a, is a skill like any other. And if you don't know it, then you're just being lazy. Um, what she did was pretty remarkable. Uh, I don't know exactly what the highest run was, but Nate's right. It was something like, I, I think, I think April was up something like two nil. And then before you knew it, like I went to go to the pool room and I checked on my phone, I brought it up and it was like 17 to three. <laughs> what, what is going on? I mean, it was over before it started, but hats off to April because she did show a lot of heart in that match and, and coming back. Um, but boy, was she up against it with that break, man. I mean, Pia, you can tell she put in the work and, 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 and um, just had it down, man. With a template's, a template's pretty gaffy, you know, when you talk about that kind of format and not being able to have any kind of hard break. But at the end of the day, man, listen, two women getting in the box, gambling for real money, because I know people who lost real money back in it. Um, it's great to have these women showcased, you know, on, on a stage like all by themselves, you know, where usually it's it's um, uh, most of the boys involved. So what are your thoughts, Nate? Well, I mean, I, I can't really expand upon what he said as far as I mean, that's basically the exact way I feel about it. It's it seemed to be a little bit gaffy. Um, I, I guess I, I want to pose the question maybe to both of you. If the if those breaking rules aren't put in place, and let's say uh, they're playing by a three point rule or you know a four point rule or something, they basically have to break above fifteen or seventeen miles an hour or something like that. Do you think that April would still lose this, or do you think that she would win this? Because I thought that she shot the ball super straight. I, I thought she played well. It's that that debate gets brought up like in every tournament, right? Like because the definition of a hard break is very arbitrary. What you may go and think as a hard break isn't what I may go on and see as as a hard break, and it won't be the same definition that that Demetrius does. So it's it's very very difficult. Like as as much as I hate changing a rack in the middle of a tournament, like I'm I kind of like an old school triangle rack where you're gonna just you, you know you're, you're gonna get what you get and that's it, you know, and you're not gonna have any consistency and you're gonna have to play pool, right? I mean that that's an idea, right? To actually play pool. Not just go and have these these cupcake outs, um, and with people at their level, you know, men or women at their level, they're gonna go and get there when you have that kind of a layout because they have that kind of ability. Um, I know back in Aiken they had played a little bit. I don't think it was April and and and, and Pia, but uh, uh, April and Christina played a little set. I think it was to eleven. Christina and Pia played, and I think this is where all this kind of uh planet the seed to go and get this happen and and not only that but they pulled it off like with no time at all because this was literally just you know maybe like four or five days to go and, and string all this together that they were able to do it for the fans and for free and from roy's basement which are from roy's stream which is fantastic um but man i don't know it's just it's it's so tough like i i would have never i would have never agreed to that knowing that she's got josh like to go and, and help her out with every single aspect of that rack and break. Like that is such a huge advantage. How do you not know that going in? 
Yeah, so my, my thoughts on this is I don't know if April would have won, but I think it would have been a heck of a fight, and I definitely think April you know, could have won. When If you take away that that solved break, you know, Pia doesn't have the same momentum. Uh, she doesn't have the same lead. You know, April's much more in it. You know, she's getting more chances. She's not iced. You know, Pia doesn't have all the momentum on her side or the big lead. I think it plays out. There's more pressure on Pia. You know, April has more. She's not fighting as much of a – I think it changes the whole match. Now, sure. I don't I don't want to come across as dismissive because I'm going to get to where I was really impressed. I, I, so I don't want to make it sound like, oh, please, you know, this stupid rack. Nothing they did matters now because I didn't like the rack. But I – so I, that's not what I'm saying, but I do think it's it has to be addressed because, in my opinion, it's if you pattern rack with a soft break and nine ball, float the balls open, make one ball in the corner, have the same shot with the same layout and everything's open. You know, if if I had the Fargo rate, what it would be like to play the nine ball ghost with those conditions, I would say it would be like right around 600 to 620 Fargo uh, to beat the nine ball ghost. Now, if you play on worn cloth with a triangle rack and try to play the nine ball ghost, the nine ball ghost by play like a 700. So it's like, it's a hundred point difference. And so, so, and here's where it, it kind of pains me is because I feel that, that these ladies are playing too strong to do this type of thing. I almost feel like I've never, ever, 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 ever seen two professional men gambling with those break rules. Um, am I wrong? Jason's into the Moscone Cup. Oh, okay. Breaking news. Breaking, Breaking news. news. Never would have seen that coming. But no, I've so so here's the thing is I almost I almost feel like those break rules, I feel like it's kind of diminishing to their ability. It's almost like they're starting at, you know, like a golf where they're starting at a lady's tee instead of it's like why they're too good to start from there. Uh Pia proved it. Pia proved, in my opinion, that she knows how to break open that rack and run that pattern of balls out. So why would we do that? Why I mean now I don't blame her. If somebody let me get away with that, I would do it too. But, uh, you know, in a gambling match, you take your edge, I guess. But so to Mike's point, I don't know why that was allowed. But I just feel that I feel that they play April and PR are playing great. So this is the part where we could talk about how great they play. I just think they're too great to play by those break rules. I think it diminished what their skills could have been in a, in a contest that was on different footing. So how did, what do you think of their – any comments to add or what do you think of their level of play? I mean, they both, they were both fantastic. Like, you know, for April to go, listen, you're down 17 to, what was it, 17 to three going to 25 on day one. And to show the kind of heart that she did just shows what April's made of. So that's fantastic. Getting up 17 to three in that format, like, was, was pretty fantastic, you know, in and of itself. You know, for, for my money, it's just tough to go and watch professionals play that kind of format, just like to be able to sit there and watch. For, for that for that amount of time because it does get kind of boring. I enjoy seeing these guys play pool or these gals play pool, you know, and everything that that comes with that. Um, but no, I mean they the score doesn't for me go and reflect like what they did, you know, because it, you you can go and say oh April got buried, but man, I don't think so. I mean she showed that she had like she's got some courage and like you said, Demetrius, it could have been a whole different match if if Pia would have had some heat on her ass. Or better yet, if April would have gotten a lead if it was a different format, you know, and Pia had to go and play from behind. So I think they would go and play again. Uh, obviously, not that not that same format, though. But I think they would go and play again. What was your opinion I mean, about the level of play, Nate? 
Well, I, I mean, I guess expanding off his really quickly, it reminded me a lot of the Meek Eminem and Corey Duell U.S. Open finals, right? I mean, Corey Duell just comes out with this this weird type of, uh, I, I guess, uh, fudge in the rules where he basically just took the game and made it a, uh, an exhibition. And it, I, I, it is what it is. I mean, P is smart to do it. Why would you turn down an opportunity at winning the match by knowing that you could do that? But uh, I, I guess... April Larson, you want to talk about like her nickname's the Grinder, and she absolutely proved it. I mean, she showed it fade, right <laughs> to to fade down, yeah. spotting someone fourteen games in a race to eight, which is what it came down to be, and getting that within you know making up five games out of that, and then coming out the very next day and uh, winning ten of the next fifteen games to get it to within th- you know three or four, whatever it was, before Pia went on another run. You know, yeah. if if this matches to seventy five over three days, is is you know, does April have the heart to come back again? It's 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 tough to know. I mean, uh, I think uh, P ended up winning maybe thirteen or fifteen games, but April already showed that she could do it once. Maybe she'll come back and get it again and put even more heat on the second time. And you know, it, it's easy to front run. Is it easy to do when you're you know Bingo. being chased down and ever? It seems like you're losing three out of every four games, which you know April did at some point in time in that match. If she does it again, does, is that enough pressure on Pia to, to kind of make her fold it up? Tough to say, but Let, I, I would love Christina to see this. In. Yeah, bring- well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. My opinion is, uh, I was really impressed. I've been I've been a big Pia fan. You know, I've seen Pia play a bit over the last year, and I've been a big fan of hers. Uh, I've known April a long time. I mean, you know, she lives in my home state, or she has. Uh, that's where she grew up. I've seen her play a lot over the years. I have never seen April play any better than I've seen her play the last couple months. She had she did pretty well at the U.S. Open, won a few matches, including one against I forget who it was, some 750 Fargo player. You know, some pretty good player, and uh, you know, so to beat beat that player in a long set in that type of pressure shows game and heart and composure and experience and all that. What I watched her do, uh, and I didn't watch the whole match, but I watched I skimmed through a lot of the racks and. Man, they're, I mean, so they're both shooting really straight. Uh, I'm really impressed. I'm really impressed with both their play. Uh, you know, April, her stroke and eye are connected. You know, her fundamentals are solid. Her stroke and eye are connected. She's putting balls down really well, moving the cue ball around, you know, effortlessly, uh, solving problems, running through racks, and doing it up against a ton of adversity on a stream. Um, just, I got to tell you, Really, really impressed by April. And then what that means about Pia, of course, she she has that break kind of solved. And so that was huge. But but yeah. for her to be able to run out all those racks um, just shows that, you know, she just looks really, really crisp. Um, you know, I think that we're going to see a lot more of these two. And I think that I'm excited, man. I hope that I hope that they become two of the premier uh, lady players here over the next few years. I'd like to see them both. I mean, they've both gotten a lot better. And I'd like to see how far they can take that. So I, I have a question. Uh, for you guys, looking at the American men, remove Shane and, you know, to a lesser degree, remove Sky. There's nobody on the world-class level. And if you look at the women right now, we have no, like, there's no one. I mean, Jennifer Brett is the closest thing we have, and even she's a pretty healthy notch below anybody else. Uh, April is 21 years old right now, I believe. Does she have the? Do you guys think that she has what it takes to get to that level where she's competing with, uh, you know, the top European women, Margaret Kelly Fisher, J- uh, Yasmin Ocean, and the the Chinese ladies like, well, 
sending Chen and the rest of the crew, do you guys think that April ever has that kind of ability to get to that point? Or is the U.S. women kind of just destined to be second or third tier as far as the uh, the top world talent? You take that one, Mike. I got I'll go next. <laughs> I think it's it's very tough. Realistically, it's very tough. Um, it, it it really just shows how incredible like the runs of of like Han Yu was, you know, for all those years and being as consistent as she's been um, on the world stage and and going deep, if not winning Kelly's dominance over the last you know fifteen years and her level of consistency. Um, because she can still snap it off, Rublin. I mean, there's so many, you know, talented, talented women players that have just when the when like pre-COVID when pool was great for 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 the women, um, and just how how much they were able to go and execute, you know, on a consistent basis. I don't. It's tough to go and say right now, but she's got a long career ahead of her if she chooses to go and and play pool full time to go and and possibly uh, get there, but. Listen, they're putting in the work over there, right? And we see it all the time. We see it all the time with all those women. They're putting in the work day in, day out, perfecting their craft. They're treating it as 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 being professional athletes. Um, I don't I don't see that from guys guys or girls on this side for the most part. You know, I mean, obviously there's a there's a, a bulk of people that do right, but like outside of those, you know, um, like maybe Tyler's of the world or whatever you want to go and say. Uh, it's tough, man, but I mean, hats off to April though. You know, I think in a race to seven or race to nine, I mean, anything can go and happen, but you got to play a lot of race to seven and a lot of race to nine to go and snap off a big event. Right. So, yeah. So I, I think about it this way and I, I really thought about this, uh, the last week I was at the Ohio open. I had some time to reflect and my opinion is, you know, a lot of times people, um, when I, when I was an amateur, when I was, or, you know, I mean, whatever, when, when I was a kid, I should say, I thought that, that it was about who has the ability, who has the ability, do they have what it takes, who has what it takes, do they have what it takes. I, I've kind of gone away from that question. I don't think it's a question of some people have what it takes and some people don't. Now, there's a lot of pushback people give about talent and blah, 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 but I really don't believe it's about who has talent or who has what it takes. I think it's about who will do what it takes and who ha- will make the sacrifices and who has the resources to put in, in terms of time, energy, money to go to tournaments and sacrifice. So, so you need time to play pool. You need sac- you needed to travel. You need money to travel. It's very expensive to travel, compete, especially when you talk internationally, but even at the national level. And then when you're going to put in that kind of time, energy and money, that requires sacrifice because that means there's other things you don't get to do, possibly like getting married, having a family, having a career, having a house or retirement or other passions or interests. So in pool, it's not so much to me about who can do it. It's about who's prepared to make the sacrifices and who's prepared to invest that much time, energy and money. And what we've seen. And and so then and then if somebody doesn't make that sacrifice, you can't look at them and say, well, let's do it. It's like, obviously, it makes sense for a lot of people not to make that. So like if April's going to school, you know, it's hard to be like, well, she's not doing it right. It's like, no, she's, she's absolutely trying to live a balanced life. And I applaud her for doing the best she can without sacrificing everything. I think that when you look at the world, I think that there's people in the world and there's certain cultures and certain groups of people that can kind of get together and decide we're going to sacrifice everything. And we're going to put in as much time. We're going to push each other to put in all of our time and energy into pool. And when people are prepared to make that sacrifice, they will get 
to the highest level. So it's not to me a question of could April do it. It's a question is, is she going to choose to do that or not? Uh, I think it, uh, one last comment is when she, I think at some point as somebody ages, like for me, I think, you know, I'm in my forties now. If I were to, if I were to go all in on pool, I, th- I don't see myself getting to the highest level now. So there is a window that closes at some point, but, but I don't think, I don't think the windows close for April or Pia. I think it just comes down no. to, do they go down that road? Yeah. And I mean, then they're I still, to, they're oh, still very ahead. young, man. They're still yeah. real young. So, I mean, they, and, and I agree with you, Demetrius. It's, it's like some people just aren't able to, even if they got all the passion in the world, right? Like there's so many factors that go into being an elite pool player. I mean, just talk to any one of these guys as, as far as the sacrifice they have to go and make for so many years of their lives to go and, and be at the level that, that they're at. It's all consuming. It's, it's their life, you know? They they eat it, they drink it, they sleep it, and when you go and look at different players from across the globe, they go and attack it differently. They go and prepare differently, um, and it's it's very hard to go and and be able to do that and still be a functioning member of society here in the U.S. Yeah. That's just the reality of it, right? So, um, but she's got all the she's got all the um, upside in the world, you know. If she if if she was able to. You know, I think she could go and compete, and and even now she can go and get there in a race of seven. So we'll see. Yeah, and and I just for me, I have kind of felt that way. Like we <laughs> had that thing with the uh, the gymnastics a couple, you know, a few months ago during the Olympics, where it's like to me, I've seen it where it's not so much a contest of heart and ability at the highest level; it's a contest of sacrifice and resources. And at some point. It's it's almost like uh, it's almost like the Yankees. If they always win, it's like they have more money to build a better team. Like baseball, is it really about who's the best coach or who's the best players, or is it about which team has the most money to buy the best players? And that's why I think like having salary caps or having caps to how much you could play. So like for me, it's it would be really fun in a in like some weird thought experiment if everybody could have the same fixed number of money and and time that they could spend on pool and then see who could do the most with it. Because right now at the highest level, there's, there's people that have more backing and more, and they're making bigger sacrifices. And and there's nobody that's going to have any kind of a normal life. It it almost looks like there's times when it puts me off a little bit because I want to applaud the great things that are accomplished by these extreme athletes. But at the same time, I know it's, it's not really a contest of ability anymore. It's a contest of self-destruction in terms of, you know, following this this intense competitive desire to be at the top of some hierarchy that leads them down these kind of weird paths that lead to extreme performances. And at some point, you know, I applaud their abilities, but it doesn't always speak to me. You know, I that's it. It's a weird conversation. So yeah, okay, I, I want to tag. I want to oh, go ahead, Nate. Did you have something you want to say there? <laughs> well, I was just going to say, uh, Greg Hogus saw. Uh, He's a little bit past at this point, but uh, well, shout out to everybody that's tuning in and saying hi. Uh, first off, I yeah, guess, sure. and uh, um, Greg Hoke said that he's going to be playing uh, Brady Beerman, uh, Berman, Berman, I think is his last name. Uh, a race to fifty on the bar tables coming up soon, and he's going to be playing uh, Justin Bergman some one pocket. So that's pretty cool. Good times. Uh, so here's yeah. I wanted to reply to a comment. Uh, there is very funny because there was two back-to-back comments, and this is the only one I wanted to touch on before we move on. So Dusty Geller says, play 10 ball. But then Raleigh Lee Dixon says, hey, gang, quick question. Why is the soft break in 9 ball with a pattern rack any different than Shane breaking 10 ball with his consistent speed? In 10 ball, the one is hit in the head, two, three in the corners, which makes it a pattern. 
So they, he's basically saying that, you know, with Shane, with the one, two, three on the corners, you know, it's kind of a semi-pattern racket. Shane's got the brakes off. So what's the difference between that and the soft brake playing nine ball? Go ahead, guys. About 150,000 hours that Shane put into perfecting that. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm, I'm guessing Pia put in about 17 minutes perfecting this nine ball break because it's so, so easy. And Shane put in about 17 years putting into that break. That's Other than that, I mean, there's, there's no huge no, difference besides know, that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, you know. I mean, she she don't go and dismiss her accomplishment, you know, going and perfecting that because that she she did a good job there, you know. But I agree yeah. with you, you know. In in it's in significantly Shane, easier. Sure. How about we'll say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, just take it for what it is. I mean, like for me, I don't like watching that anymore either, personally, you know, because I don't I, I don't want to watch these guys have the same pattern. I mean, like I not on four and a half inch pockets, anyways. No, no. I mean, like I. I can appreciate the greatness factor of it, right? I can appreciate Shane being the best in that. But then when I when I just look at it from a pool perspective, I'm like, Man, that's tough to go and watch over and over and over and over again, right? And but then I can go and watch the U.S. Open, and I'm not jumping on Matchroom's, you know, back. By the way, I'm just saying I can go and watch U.S. Open when they're playing with the triangle rack, and I love it because then they're having to go and move, they're having to go and have safety battles, they're having to go and jump and bank and. And just be a lot more creative with it, even though it's still rotation, you know. So it's just it's tough for me with the template, you know, for for my money. Um, but I can still appreciate like e- each of their greatness in that category. But I mean, listen, wait now. Now I don't want to say I think Pia is the best template female player on planet Earth. Like I'm not going out. I'm not. I'm not saying that. You know, where I think Shane's probably top, you know, three in the world in ten ball. So. I just want to make sure I get that clear. <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell you this. I I, I more agree with Nate. Now, I obviously, it didn't take Shane 17 years to perfect that break because he's been doing it for a long time. But to hit – okay, so let me talk about the nine-ball break. So when I went to this – when I the first time I ever tried that break, I was at a tournament with Jesse Engel, and he says, hey, let me show you how to break the balls. And so he gets up and he breaks them, and he's like, you got to make sure the one bumps the rail, gets off for a shot at the corner, cue ball's got to stop, whatever. We talked about, like, what the requirements of, like – the perfect break are Nate. How long did you say it would take like seven minutes? It, it, it took less than that. It was like, I mean, it was, you roll onto the one ball. Like, I don't really understand. It's just, it's like, it would be like the amount of time it takes to practice shooting in a hanging ball versus the amount of time it would take to practice like two rail banks in one pocket or something like that. It's just anyway. So for, whereas for me, so I learned that break in like five minutes, whereas the, the break in 10 ball, I still work on and it's still a work in progress. Now. So, so that's the difference is, is that, the amount of skill. Now, I do agree, though, that I do think that the template rack on a big, on a new cloth big table is, to me, it's boring watching the top players tape play 10 ball because they all have the 20 mile an hour pop rate perfected to where it's not interesting enough for me. So, this is one reason why when we did the Ohio Open, they used triangle racks throughout the whole event. And I think that that made the event the most interesting 10 ball event I've been a part. I mean, it was night and day a better game in my opinion i think people break 10 ball too good now the fact that we're using template racks um i I like i really like the triangle rack so uh i think it's good time to shift over and i think it might make sense to talk about the ohio open next is that that cool nate is that okay so what so what do you i'll start with the 10 ball rack what did you guys think of the triangle rack would you agree did that make things exciting go ahead mike no, I mean, for sure, it's not even close. 
you know, but at the same time, like you're still having guys who are playing pretty consistent. Mario He, Roberto Gomez, um, a lot of guys. Roberto are still... Gomez is always there in the last like yeah. four players. He's always in the last four. That's what I'm saying, though. Like that's that's pretty incredible, given how yeah. inconsistent that the rack and, and the break can go and be. Uh, there shows that he's playing great pool, and he's been playing pool all year long. You know, from from, from the beginning of the year until now. Um, so, but I'm I'm a thousand percent with you. I I love seeing a triangle uh, rack these days. I just do. If you're gonna get slugged, listen. The guy's got just as much of a percentage to get slugged as you do. You know. And you're going to have to go and earn it. You're going to have to go and move. You're going to have to go and play pool. You're going to have to kick. You're going to have to jump. You're going to have to be tactical. Like all the things that I love and want to see in pool. Because, you know, like Justin Hall would say, any monkey can run out of rack. <laughs> so, uh, except for Nate. But he's getting the boot. Just say, when is that going to start? Shots fired. Yeah. So... Uh, hey, since we're, t- I think everyone wants to hear about the Ohio Open, so I think I've got everyone committed. Should I run that? Should I run that quick commercial date? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right, Hi, guys, we're gonna run. You it. gotta learn about the manscape. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna talk. We're gonna dig into the Ohio Open. That was our teaser. But first, here's Manscape. We'll be right back. Well, guys, guess what? We get to do an awesome. Manscaped ad. I've been waiting for this. You are excited. I can. I. I'm telling you what. I. It's like it's like a three year old on Christmas morning. Just wait. Just waiting for Pinoza to be able to talk about the lawnmower 4.0. And Molina <laughs> hasn't even smiled since we since he found out that we had to do this. So uh, how are you feeling, Molina? Hmm. Hmm. That's all I got. Hmm. <laughs> Jim, how are you feeling? I even prepared some before and after pictures that I'll uh, post later on. Yeah, we'll we'll post those to the uh, we'll post those really? to the, the I just, up page. I just want to know what three year old on Christmas is using this. That's what I'm saying. What are you talking? About? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm just talking I'm not, the level I'm not, of excitement. I'm not sure. I'm not no. sure the child reference is really appropriate. <laughs> wow. yeah. Instantly kicked off. It's, yeah, exactly. That's, I, you won't I have to I do just, this again, Nate, because you just lost yeah. your sponsorship. <laughs> Well, until we lose it, let's talk about it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you, as the viewer, can show your support for the Cue It Up podcast by going to manscaped.com, where you have the opportunity to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Cue It Up Pod. You could get yourself an amazing lawnmower 4.0. And Jim says, your balls will thank you. So how do we do this? What is the Manscaped 4.0? The Manscaped 4.0 is the best men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. There it is, Jim. Show it off. Check that Damn. out. Melina's mm. like it's sweet. Mm. I promise the you, fo- you could shave the hair off a balloon with this. <laughs> <laughs> That's also true. We we tested it. We have. You we can't have the buy video. these kind of testimonials. Let me tell you. No. No. <clears throat> the lawnmower awesome. 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. 
Join over 2 million men worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code QITUPPOD at manscaped.com. And that is going to be right in the chat. So check it out there. And if we get a bunch of these, you are going to be able to support us with actual funding for the podcast from Manscaped. So please take the opportunity. Awesome. Turn it on, Jim. Fly it across the screen, loud and proud. You didn't turn it on. <laughs> oh, you did turn it on. There it goes. Look at that light. Look at that. It's even got a light. It's even so got a light do, for yeah. the dark. And, it's even got you. Yeah, can, wow. You can light shave so you can reach in dark and dark Only functional. Yeah, mm, you can get to those dark and dirty places without light. It's very good. <laughs> you can you can get everywhere. You can get places you didn't even know you had with that flashlight. <laughs> uh, i don't even know <laughs> and there you go there's our ad go to manscaped.com and enter in code queue it up pod to get yourself 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping do it trim the hedges you ladies do it. thank you all right you can share that mm. you can shave the hair off a balloon with it <laughs> all right <laughs> i love that line Tell you what, excellent. All right. Well, there's nowhere to go but up from there. So we will uh, get right back to uh, the Ohio Open. So in the Ohio yeah. Open, uh, the winner was uh, Mario He. Second place was uh, it was Roberto Gomez, right? And then yep. third and fourth was Ruslan Chinikov and Jeff Deluna. Am I remembering this right? I was. I, I'm not looking at it. I'm just trying to remember what I saw. Yeah, I got. I got it pulled up right here. Yep. And then fifth through it, if you want me to go through that, is uh, Daniel Schneider, who's playing some really awesome pool right now. Uh, Mickey Krause, Jeremy Seaman, and uh, Devin Poteet. And then rounding out the top 16 is Warren Kiamko, Mika Eminen, who gets 9th to 16th in every single one of these tournaments, unfortunately, for him. Alex Kazakis, uh, Nayuki Oi, Sharik Sayad, Torsten Holman, John Mora, and Jeremy Sosi. Yeah, it was a great tournament. Uh, so I think we talked about the break and the rack and how interesting that made it. You know, I think we've got to talk about uh, – well, let's talk about the players first. So Mario, he – you know, well, Demetrius, I think – Demetrius, before we jump into this, you were there, right? So why don't you tell us what the actual room was like? Tell us about the atmosphere and tell us how uh, everything was there on site. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, it was They had an amateur tournament going on on bar tables on the other side of the room. As far as the players arena, they had four main tables, and then they had the feature table. So we had a total of five tables. Uh, the table conditions were incredibly slick tables. So these were the Predator tables with the Arcadia cloth and balls. I've never played on them before. And, I've, I, you know, a lot of times when I go to a new a tournament, they're playing on new cloth, uh, and that's – not at all like your pool rooms, uh, but like the Mashroom U.S. Open tables were all brand new cloth. But these, it is way slicker than anything I've ever experienced. The only thing I can compare it to is a heated billiard table. Uh, the What that means is the balls would go a little further than you think. The draw, I mean, you could draw a ball from, you know, 100 feet away if you have the landing space. And then, uh, and then if, I mean, I had a few times where I tried to just – come back a little and I do I like accidentally drew table length when I was trying to back up a foot the first few times I tried to draw the ball and then um the other thing was like side spin and throw so when you use side spin the cue ball deflects here it would deflect more than you think it would really just slide way out and it would never That's hook back ass in Michigan 
Yeah, it would never hook back, and it would, the balls, the object balls, so it wouldn't swerve, and it wouldn't twist the balls. And the last thing I'll say, I'm throwing a lot out here, just cutting the balls in. Everybody was overcutting everything because normally when you cut a ball in, you've got a little collision-induced throw that you have to kind of hit the thin side of the pocket and throw it in. Here, the balls would go right along the line of centers with almost no throw. And so when people were shooting shots, you know, a lot of times when people were cutting balls, uh, they were overcutting everything. And I saw this was not just a me thing. This was across the board. Everybody was struggling a little bit with this. Uh, so it was it was so weird that I'll tell you my personal experience. I won two matches, lost two matches, kind of had some chokes and meltdown. And I, I lost to Ruslan Chinikov. And it was but it's really hard to feel confident playing Ruslan anyway. And when you don't, when you have to start consciously thinking about how to adjust for the conditions on every shot, and then you're under pressure, that is not a good mix. So for me, that was my first time in that experience, and it made it insurmountable for me. Um, I talked to Danny Olson out there. He says that he's been running his balls through the ball polisher every hour at home to try to duplicate the conditions. Um, and even still, even with new cloth and running them through the ball polisher every hour, he said it just it takes them a while to get used to it out there. So everybody was, so those were the, so beautiful format, beautiful venue, really slippery conditions, which was, I think gave an advantage to the people that were more experienced in those conditions. What do, what do you guys think? I mean, when I played in Michigan, I had that same problem. I didn't, re- I, I honestly thought I was just dogging it for like the first, uh, for like the first two matches. Like I, I didn't realize that like that was the case. So I'm sitting here missing shots and I'm like, oh my God, how am I this bad? Like I just, I just chalked it up. I wasn't feeling well. I was really, uh, I, was, I was kind of uh, beat up and sick when I was in Michigan. And I was just kind of trying to battle through it. And I'm just like dogging all these balls. And I'm like, oh my God, what, you know, what's going on? I was just chalking up to choking in a pro tournament or something like that. And I talked to Tyler uh, Steyer after the match, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, you gotta you gotta readjust the way you play in this game. You can't really use outside spin, and if you do, you gotta aim about you know a half a pocket thicker to, to still pocket the same balls." And I'm like, "Wait, seriously?" And it just happened to be the end of the day, so I went up and ran you know ran a couple balls down the rail with some high outside spin, just trying to you know test out his theory. And that that's it. I mean, that the cloth it, it grips so much faster, and it doesn't throw the or it throws the balls more because the the it just seems uh, the the cloth is a little grittier, so the balls sit on top of it with a little bit more friction, and uh, it it throws the balls a little bit more. And uh, yeah, when you do that deflection, it just doesn't come back very much. So uh, once I got that, you know, once I actually hit a couple balls, once I figured this out, I was already out of the tournament, of course. But um, you know maybe I could have made some micro adjustments in the moment, or maybe it would have messed with me even more in, in the fact that, you know, when I'm, when I'm hitting balls down the rail, I got to actively start thinking about where I'm going to be aiming. And it's, it's brutal to play this game on, you know, off of autopilot, at least for the way that I play the game. I I can't play this game off of autopilot. It's it's brutal. (laughs) That, that is it. And I think Jeremy Jones was talking in the commentary about how Mario, he is very used to these conditions. And I think that there's a reason why the players that got deep in this event, had they've played on this type of condition a lot more, I think. And I, and I think that was a huge, huge factor. What do you think, Mike? I'm just glad my, my, my boy Mario won it. He's playing some fantastic pool right now. Uh, I think he's often overlooked in a lot of the, the matchroom events. So it's great to see him kind of, he, he, you, you get an opportunity and you make the best of it. Um, I know the format, the players don't necessarily love. We've, we've beat that, you know, that that thing to death over and over again um but it's a lot of fun to watch roberto's playing some top level pool right now and uh at, at a great time so for me it's more about the players 
Um, what Nate said is right. Daniel Snyder's playing some fantastic pool. I've been seeing it since the Texas Open. Um, he's just been knocking off name after name after name and just getting more uh, more heads on his belt, so to speak. So uh, shout out to Daniel. Um, but it, it's yeah, great U.S. It Open. Was, a really good U.S. Open. He was one yeah. out of the final sixteen. Yeah, and that's pretty strong. You would have you would have won a lot of money to go and and get that bet. His, um, yeah, his Fargo rate's only like seven. I think it's like seven thirty. So I mean, he's he's really he's really hitting playing a lot good. of pool right now, man. Yeah, he's playing a lot of pool too. So, um, but all in all, I mean, yeah, Mario to finally go and get one. Him, I mean, him and that crew, man, have just been not, doing nothing but winning. Yeah, Kazakis as a Oliver. world pool master. Yeah, Oliver snapping off an event in Aiken. Um, Dennis, well, you know, Dennis is is always going deep. Uh, and but Dennis has got all the all the talent in the world, man. I think that guy is like number six or seven in my mind. As far as uh, Moscone Cup, year after year, so, it seems like. But the the thing with Dennis, though, so the one thing, you know, it's weird. Of course, the, the players that ended up doing well, right? Mario, uh, Gomez, and then DeLuna, Ruslan. They're also, they're Ruslan, some of the best guy. players. They're the best players in the field. But at the same time, they also have huge breaks. And I think when you have that triangle rack, I think the value of a big break increases there's no question Jeff DeLuna braced the balls hard and I've never really seen Mario he break the balls too much like I never paid attention to it until this tournament it reminded me I don't know if you guys maybe you know do you know Felix Barity he's like a you know semi-pro from Canada anyway he's a he looks a lot like Mario he's a big guy and I always called it like the bear claw break he just kind of swats at the rack and like it's one of these things where like playing eight ball, like every ball just races around. It just it looks like he just takes all the balls and just sweeps them across the table. Mario he breaks, like he doesn't move his cue that fast or like you know force it, but he really puts a lot of punch in his break. He gets explosive reaction. And when I was watching Ruslan versus Mario he, I remember thinking like if they were playing with template racks. I think Ruslan could do just fine. But playing with a triangle rack, I just had to feel like Mario had an edge because they were coming up dry sometimes. And sometimes you could see the players that would come up dry once or twice. And I think Roberto Gomez even joked he came up dry once and he said to Jeff, he said to Luna, he said, next time, or maybe he said it to the audience, he's like, next time I'm really going to move the rack. Like like they were really having to use their hard head. It wasn't this 18-mile-an-hour soft pop break. They were really having to gear up for it. And that's why I'm not surprised to see the players with the big power breaks make it further. If anything, I'm a little surprised. You know, Tyler, uh, unfortunately, got eliminated by uh, by uh, Rus- uh, yeah, Ruslan. Ruslan beat Tyler out right before he beat me out. And so, I mean, but but that was only because two good big guns competed. Yeah. What's that? Ruslan's been playing good too. It's really his first event, his first or second event back in like yeah, two, three years. He yeah, he. Yeah, I mean, he. I saw him really play he, five, ten years ago. He was. He's always been a straight shooter, but five, ten years ago, he played fast, loose, reckless. It looked a lot like. Um, it just he played a really fast and loose game, kind of like Josh Filler. Now I was watching him play, and he played much more methodical. And I've never. I. I've never seen a player change their gear so much as I've seen Ruslan in the last five, 10 years go from being fast, loose, a little rough on the patterns to just extremely aggressive and straight shooting to being like very methodical and solid. What do you guys think? I've just, do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I saw Johnny Archer do that. Johnny, I was just going to say, you stole my thunder. <laughs> about 17 different times in his career. He went from being the slowest player in history to the fastest player in history. And then back, you know, back and forth seemingly with the weather. 
Yeah, no, that's 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 the only other player I could think that's really changed their style that much. And I want to say hey to Greg Haug. I didn't get a chance to talk to you. I was watching your match when you played Danny Olson. Uh, it was a bummer. You know, you got you were playing really good. It's just it's that format. You just don't get much time, do you? You know, if you get off to a rough start and your opponent, you know, Danny played well and it's. But uh, no, I did. I uh, I enjoyed watching your match and uh, tough tough tournament, man. I was with you as far as uh, like you. I would have liked to have made it a little further, but. Uh, and then Chris, comment, little Chris, the players that went deep in the tournament were equipped with the Manscaped. Changed my mind. That's greatest comment ever, so I, thank you for sharing. All, all I'm saying is some of my sources have told me that Roberto Gomez has has uh, has tried it out. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well. My source is like, my yeah, so any, <laughs> you know what? For once, I don't think we've spent a million hours. You guys said you've already beat the format to death, which is, I think, the only other thing to really talk about. I thought it was a lot of fun to play. It was I, a lot of fun to I watch. Have one thing I, wanna, I have one thing I want to point out. How about the tournament for Payne McBride? Like, he only won one match, but that was against Michael Schneider, and that's Daniel Schneider's little brother, who Daniel Schneider, you know, I sat down with him in Vegas a couple of times, and, uh, you know, he said that, his little brother has more talent than just about anybody he's ever seen play the game, but he doesn't take it as seriously as he should. Michael Schneider, I believe, is about just shy of a 760 Fargo, and Payne McBride is just north of 560, I think. So he's given up 200 points on the Fargo, and he took Tyler Steyer to a shootout. Tyler beat him 4-0 to or 4-1, to and then he turned around and beat Tyler 4-1 to and narrowly lost by one shot in the shootout and then goes back and beats Michael Schneider, a 760 Fargo and then loses, you know, loses his next match after that against another world beater in, uh, or no, never mind. I don't know who it is. Uh, Brian Brecky. I don't know who that is, but, um, you know, that's he, uh, he's, he lives match. in Minnesota. Brian's a friend of mine. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, pain, pain can't be much older than 16, 17. Yeah. It's, it's, well, Tyler, is Tyler coaching him too, I thought? Maybe. I heard somebody was saying that. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, Tyler works with a lot of the kids. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he is. Tyler works with anybody he can that he believes will be a good ambassador for the game. Well, and then I also want to shout out. It's funny. I, I see Devin Petit just joined us in the chat. Hey, Devin. Um, I don't know. Second, boys. I, 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 I've seen you around, Devin. I don't think we've ever really gotten to know each other. But I'll tell you what. Devin had a great tournament. And so did Jeremy Seaman, by the way. I – uh but I tell you, I wanted to shout out to Devin because he he had a tough road to get into the money. He had to beat a couple of stone champions. I Devin, I forget who they were. But I just know that they were like two, like it might have been like that Snolky guy, or and it might have been a, I don't know if it was Conrad. I, I, who did you, Devin? If you want to put notes in, I can't remember who you beat. Um, uh, but I'm I remember he he beat back to back player, back to back stone champions. And the other thing that was really, really funny, and he won a match yeah. in shootout. I watched him win a match in shootout. That was, uh, I, I feel like uh, it was really, really, really a tough one because uh, I forget exactly the way it played out. Yeah. But, but so Devin lost his first match to uh, Jeremy Seaman, and then he beat <clears throat> uh, in in order Hunter Lombardo, Muhammad El, I don't know because the rest of it's cut off, and then Oliver Solnaki, and that got him into the finals where he then beat. Niyaki Oye, was it? He then beat uh, Warren Kiamko in the oh, first round Warren and then lost to Roberto Gomez in the second match. So Yeah, and I'll tell you, I saw a shootout of his, and I forget, Devin, how it went down, but I want to say that, like, you might have had a chance to win it with the fourth of your rack spot shots and then uh, missed it. And then the other guy made his shot 
from the first diamond. I think you had to make like one to stay alive and then one more to win it from the from the first diamond. You whacked them all in. Anyway, big. It was awesome. So I just, anyway, it was fun to watch that match. I also want to mention I saw one. I don't remember the players, and even if I did, I don't think I'd want to tell you. But I saw one where a guy had a chance to win the shootout, and he. And he was making his – if he makes this ball, it's the last shot of the shootout he wins. He made the ball and scratched. And so it went to sudden death. Mm. And he ended up making, like, his first two and then and then lost – and ended up losing. And it was – I just – I'd never seen anyone make the winning ball and scratch and then end up losing. It was pretty painful. So tough. It is a lot of drama, man. And there's a lot of – and there's – the other thing I'll say, the last thing I'll say about the format, I saw a lot of sets where one guy won the first set four to zero. And then the second set, he's up three to one and running out, which looks like he's going to win four zero four one. It looks like an eight to one blast out, right? And all of a sudden, the guy dogs it on the hill, and instead of going four one, it goes three to two. And despite that huge performance, it's almost like it's a hill hill. You know what I mean? It's just so brutal. And I saw that not once, not twice. I saw that play out many, many, many matches. It was almost like it was almost like that was just destined. So. I think it's a great format uh, for the players, for the spectators. You know, nobody's going to, there's no universal agreement, but it's been a lot. I do, and I love the format with the 10 ball, with the triangle rack. I just, I need to get used to these tables, but uh, definitely that just encourages people to show up to more than one. So I like what's going on. It's exciting. I don't think anybody can go and argue that. It's exciting to go and watch. And like I said, I, um, I know some of the top players don't necessarily love it, but, and I, and I don't think it's perfect at all. Um, but just from a viewership standpoint, there's a lot of things that I really enjoy about watching this rotation, uh, event, event after event, um, that I don't think you get from a lot of these other events. So hats off to them and we'll see what happens. Well, and if you look at the top four finishers, you know, you've got Mario, he, Jeff, the Luna, Ruslan, Sheena, Coven, and Roberto Gomez. And if those aren't the four best players in this tournament, I mean, yeah, there's Niyaki Oe, Warren Kiyamko, Tyler Stark. I mean, there's a few, but it's like, it's not like Oliver, Sol- uh, well, Oliver Solaki, there's uh, Victor. Sure, Sol- but it's yeah. like, I didn't, it's not like, it's not like I won the thing and, and, and Roberto Gomez didn't make the money. It's like, no, it's pretty well, no. there's variance, but it's the top players win. And, and I've, I've just seen it too much. And the other thing is, you know, people were talking, I want, I do want to say, I saw this on AZ Billiards, long thread, people were kind of diminishing the format saying it favors the worst players. They went so far to say as it made it like a flip of the coin. It favors on, the worst man, that's players. That's a reach. And I said, look, that's man, I, the top players are winning all the time. And I said, anybody that wants to go play Ruslan two sets to four and show me how easy it is to try to – like you either – just to think about what a worst player has to do to beat the guy. You either have to beat Ruslan two sets in a row, okay, not happening, or you have to beat him one out of two sets and then outshoot him under pressure with an audience watching, potentially on a stream. And it's like, realistically, you're going to lose two sets or you're going to get lucky and win one and then dog your brains out. It's so hard to win a set like that. It's People don't realize. It's very, very tough. I mean, the fact that it does give the no-name... Yeah, I mean, the the fact that it does give the the no-name or the lesser name a shot, I can appreciate. You know, I wanted... I don't want to see these, like, early matches just be um, where it's so... on paper, it can be heavily one-sided, you know, from a betting standpoint or however it is you want to look at it. But I mean, they're never out. They're, they can they can lose four zero, like Nate said, and then come back and win the next one four one or four two or whatever. So I think yeah, that's part of the beauty of, of the format. Or he lost his uh, the first the first <clears throat> match in four his last four matches, 
and then one to shoot out. Bevin's playing some great pool too. Yeah. On the Moscone Cup radar. Very good. Well, I'm good on this one. Uh, are we ready to move I, on to I up and coming? I have one. I have one topic that I would wouldn't mind discussing really quickly. Do you guys think that the players owe Predator more loyalty to this tour, especially the American players? The American players are not frequenting these. They're not showing up. Who are the the American players that are showing up? Jeremy Seaman seems to be going, but they all seem to kind of be in his backyard, so it's a little bit different, maybe. Um, Danny Olson, Tyler Steyer. Yep, the, Chris Chris Reinhold, those are the players that are showing up to this. But the rest of the players are not going to any of these. Do you think that the players owe a little bit more loyalty to the only company outside of Matchroom that's doing anything to grow the game? I I don't think so. I, I think that um, there's there's some stuff, you know, where, oh, pool players always shoot themselves to the foot, and we go back to, like, ESPN deals in the 90s and all this. But, but in the end, I, I kind of feel like, if there there is no like there this is like that part like what we you know what happens with me and you there is no me and you like a little pulp fiction reference like like pool players and pro pool you know no nobody's nobody's making a good there's no official tour there's nobody making a good living except for maybe exactly Shane and and the pro tournaments are making huge sacrifices. Predators making huge sacrifices to try to do what they do. I, I just feel like it's kind of like this jungle out there where everybody's kind of survival mode, doing what they need to do to be best for them. And I just don't feel like like the amount of money that it costs to travel to tournaments and play. For you can't you can't blame players for not wanting to spend thousands of dollars to go travel and play so that they can play you know lose a race to four and get eliminated. Uh, if they don't want if they don't feel that it's a good value for them, I don't blame them for not playing. And and so, but but Predator, see, when Predator sets up the format like this, they got to say, okay, I might lose a couple of participants from the highest levels that don't like the format, but maybe I gain a bunch of players from the semi-pro level that like the format, want to take a shot at it. So, I, I in the end, here's what I think: if you're a tournament director, you've got to set it up to where you don't really. In poker, they have a theory called, you know, you got to be indifferent. You have to mix your bluffs and your value bets perfectly so that you are indifferent to what your opponent does. If you make poker players and hope that they call or hope that they fold, you've done it wrong. You want to play your cards so that they can do whatever they want to do. I don't care. I've mixed my strategy. You guys, I, I've played my cards. You can play yours. I think as a tournament director, you need to set it up to where what the individual pros decide to do doesn't matter because if they don't play, you're going to get a bunch of semi-pros that do. And so I don't think the players owe anything to them. And I think Predator needs to set it up to where they don't depend on the top players' participation to be successful. Mike? I don't know. <clears throat> Demetrius makes a lot of good points. Um, I never want to be that guy to tell anyone how to spend their money, number one. Right, because however it is you want to go and spend your hard-earned money, hey, that's you. But I'll say this, man, from watching pool for a lot of years, and especially here in the states, you don't see too many twenty-five thousand dollar added tournaments, you know. And especially not. Four I think of that them in three months. Yeah, and I think unless you want to go back to the days of of making the bar table circuit. And playing these two, three, four thousand dollar added events in hopes of having a monster Calcutta, then I don't, I don't know, I don't know how you can't support it just because of the amount of added money that that's going into every one of them. I know the format on their standpoint isn't necessarily the best, um, 
But man, if I'm <laughs> if I'm Jeremy Jones or if I'm anyone who has any kind of say as far as the Moscone Cup, to me this is like you're getting you're getting a great hand in that you're pretty much getting a Moscone Cup boot camp in your backyard. You know? Um that's okay. true with the uh, short races. You're yeah, getting that's a, a good you're, point. You're, yeah, you you're getting a Moscone Cup boot camp in in your backyard and you don't go and take advantage of it. You know, so that did to I, me did I just is hear just somebody in the back. Did I just hear somebody in your background offer up the seven out and breaks? Mike, <laughs> is, is, that, is that what I'm hearing right there? <laughs> no. Sounds like a lot of barking. Uh no, it's the, it's the dogs. A lot of the dogs go bad. Um, yeah, I thought I heard seven out and breaks. I'll call I them. Think, yeah. No, so, I, I mean, uh, I, sorry, I, my wife was I, here. Yeah, you're good. I favor more. I, I mean, I fall more on the Molina Mike side of thing, and maybe it's because I'm maybe it's because I'm a promoter of the game now. That if I see somebody out there that are having the best intentions to do what they can, I mean, I'm not saying the players should spend their money there and go play in it, but. It'd be really nice if they did. <laughs> It'd be really nice if they made it, you know, something that, uh, you know, would be a little bit more sustaining. But it's it's tough. At the end of the day, it, it, it toughs. So, like, yeah, they, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how they can go and, and, and add more money next year with the with the turnout they've had, you know. Or I don't see how they can go and expect to grow it with the turnout they've had from, from the pro side of, I mean, from the American players. I guarantee you there would have been a lot more fans there in Ohio and in Michigan, you know, had, had Shane been on there, had Sky been on there, you know, had, had Bill, the American Moscone Cup team. I mean, Billy uh, couldn't have been more bit, than bit been on there. Billy couldn't have been more than two or three hours away from there where he lives. There's no there's no reason he can't go there and support it. So yeah. I, I don't know. All right. Well, uh I don't know. Do you want let's move on to the upcoming event? Yeah, yeah, let's uh Let's talk about it. And I think the one that we want to hit, I think our big action match, this is tough. I was talking to Nate about this the other night. It's a tough one, man. Scott Frost v. Chip Compton. Race to 40, is that right? I've asked you this like 18 times. Race, race to, 40. to 40 over four days. Starting four day race to 40. Chip Compton, Scott Frost, who do you like, Mike? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I think um, this match has been trying to happen for – for quite a long time, uh, there's been a lot of a lot of uh, barking going on on each side. They've been trying to to put it together, so it's something that I'm really excited for. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I got a room full <laughs> of dogs in the living room. Anyway, um, no, I'm I'm glad they were finally able to go and get it together. There's a lot of money being bet. I think it's somewhere around a hundred thousand, uh, but 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 between them. Um, and there's a lot more on the side, and bets are still going on right now, um, both sides. I think Scott's got a huge advantage playing at home, obviously, and his record at home is is pretty great. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. This one's this one's tough to call. I I know we talked about April being the grinder, but for my money, um, I don't see anyone grinding hard for every ball like I do Chip Compton when it comes to the cash. He's just one of those guys that just fights no matter where the game is at. I don't care if he's buried seven, negative two. You know, he's still in it because you can come back in 30 minutes and it's going to be, you know, seven, four. Um, that's just the kind of player that he is. And for the money, uh, it's hard to go and bet against him. Um, last we seen Scott really go and play. Uh, I think he lost to Fedor in Aiken. But before that, he's had a pretty good run this year of, of playing 
like pretty consistently. He played Tony at the beginning of the year. Uh, he goes deep in the um, in the Buffalo event uh, with a remark with one of the best one pocket matches I've ever seen against Justin Hall. Um, and I think Scott's confident, but I don't know, man. We'll see. And this is for a lot of like what the talk's been about the top five players of, of one pocket and me and, and Joey and. And we're going to come out with it soon. We, it's been tough because of this gauntlet of pool, but finally coming out with our one-pocket rankings video that's going to be out pretty soon. Um, but they're kind of fighting for that fifth spot, and they both feel disrespected not being there. Both of them do, because I've talked to both of them. Chip's a little bit more like passive in the sense that he's you know he doesn't want to have the light on him, where Scott's kind of like, no, it should be on me. I should be top three. I should be number one. I should be number everything. Um, and this is going to kind of, Sorry about the dog. This, this is going to kind of settle those debates, you know? So I'm I'm pumped. Yeah. Nate, what do you think? Um, you know, it, it, I, I always come back to this, this thing that I heard when I was a kid. Never, never, never disrespect a legend, even if they're past their prime. And I'm not saying Scott has passed his prime, but you never you never disrespect somebody enough. Uh, you never disrespect a legend who knows how to get it done in the biggest moments, who's been there, done that. Get them fired up and give them a reason to bring out what they know they can do. And I feel like that's a lot of what's happening right now with Scott Frost. And I just feel like he's been practicing like crazy. He's been he's been going deep in some one pocket tournaments, and I just feel like. Um, I just feel like he's ready to come out and just, just, just open this thing up. Now, with that being said, this is the exact worst opponent that he could possibly play against because Chip doesn't give a crap who you, he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't, he's going to make you work harder than you've ever worked for anything in your entire life, every single game, every single shot. And he, you know, he has that ability. We saw him do it to Gomez. He grinded Roberto Gomez into the dirt. And I don't, you know, no one in the world is going to argue he that broke Chip Roberto. plays as he, he did. He broke no his one, spirits. No one's going to argue that he plays better than, uh, I, I don't know that you even say he plays better one pocket than Roberto Gomez, potentially. But what he is good at doing is grinding you into the absolute dirt and making sure that you do not even have the close to the heart to be able to beat him. And I think that's what it's going to take a lot of players to beat him. And I think that uh, we saw we saw with him playing Tony that it took to the third opportunity for Tony to be like, all right, I'm done with this. Like this, that's it. I don't, you're not having your little games anymore. I'll play the way you want to play and let's, let's get it done. He had and to then, overhaul his entire game to go and beat yes. Chip Compton. Let's just call yes. it what it is. I ain't seen Tony yes. play like that beforehand. I ain't seen Tony play like that no. since then. And he probably that's what, that's what Chip Compton does to you. Yes, and you you can either you can either buy in and play by his style, and better hope that you have the heart that you never knew you had, or you might as well just chalk it up, ship the cash, and head out head out of town because you're not going to win now. So so basically, we're coming up with two different players: one who feels ultra disrespected, and like, did you guys really forget about me? You know, the guy who brought one pocket onto you know the U.S. stage in his mind. You know, they forgot about Dre. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where like you know, you guys forgot about me. I'm not that old. I can still play this game at a top level. You know, don't take me no, off I... your radar. And then you have another guy who doesn't give a crap about you, what you've done, where you've been, or who you are. I'm just gonna make you grind harder than you've ever grinded for your entire life on every single shot. Who's gonna come out ahead there? 
it's tough. I mean, it's a very interesting matchup. I think Scott gets there just because I I think that he's ready to prove to people that uh, you can't you can't write him off. Not when he not when he has proper preparation time and the the heart to play. So I think Scott what? gets there, but it's they've cool. been fishing. I mean, where what is there? Scott posting pictures of fish. <laughs> what is their track record? They've played before. I remember Chip beat them uh, in a was it a seven ahead last time they played seven ahead? What is their track? Who knows their whole track record? Didn't they beat them seven ahead in nine games. Is that right? Yeah, I think I bet Chip on that one, but that was a while ago. Danny. Danny Smith. Oh yeah, yeah, Danny Smith. Right? Yeah. I don't. I, I honestly was, yeah, don't I know. That was Danny I think Chip beat Scott last time no, they, they played. Have. Yeah, but I, it's always been I tough. It's always been close, and, and so for me, okay, I, I kind of like it's a really hard one to call. I personally, I love the style that Chip plays. Of all the one pocket players I've seen, I love the way Chip plays. His game management, he he has the right mix of aggression and you know he's consistent. His mindset, he he always keeps his mind right. He keeps his decision making right. His executions right, and his game management, everything. He just doesn't leak. And so for when, I, when I'm betting on a guy, there's nothing more frustrating than betting on a guy who gets up and does something stupid every rack and sells out. Or when your guy gets to the table and he has a shot, and you're like, now he's supposed to run some balls. And he just gets up and, like, finds a way to give it back to the opponent, you know, run to and hook himself and do something stupid and give it back. Chip doesn't do any – he, like, Chip has less leak than any player I've ever seen. He's just super steady, rounded, balanced, and effective. And I love his game maybe more than anyone in the world. Um, I, I, I'm not saying he's the best in the world. I'm saying I love the way he plays. So it's hard to bet against him. But I tell you, Scott, uh, you know, home court, great, great player. He's very, very motivated right now. I think he's been – and I think Scott's been in the ring a lot uh, lately and playing a lot. And I think he's really hungry. And I also think at a race to 40 that he'll have time to make adjustments. So even if they come out of the gate and what he's doing isn't working, I think I think he's got time to kind of – find a way to win. And I think he's got the heart and determination to find a way to win. I I don't like betting on anyone but Chip, but I think if I have to pick a winner, I'm going to – I feel like a sucker, but I'm going to call Scott Frost. I, like, I'm, I'm going to call Scott Frost, and I think that I've they're I've lost both. a lot of money betting against Chip Compton. I've lost yeah. a lot of money betting against See, that, Chip. See, I'll, I'll tell you what. We all have. Over and over this. again. I've lost if I, a lot of money. If I bet on Scott – too. If I bet on Scott – and Chip wins, I'll feel like a sucker. If I bet on Chip and Scott wins, I'll feel like ah, I pay one off. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I'm getting an end good with Chip. I feel like I'm a sucker if, if I bet on Scott and Chip wins. I just feel like a sucker because Chip. It's so hard to bet against Chip. But so I, I'll call. I don't really know. I think Nate. I think Nate. Me and I. Me and you are going to bet something on this match just for a sweat. But honestly, man, I, I don't really care who we pick in this match. Um, I think it's super close. Yeah, I guess if we're giving predictions, I, I'm going to give it to Scott. 40 to 37 and that's yeah. and that is like uh, a lot of money like scott right now there's a lot of there's a lot of people that like scott on the betting side of it obviously you know chip side has come up with with you know 50 of their own that go and says that they got the best of it and i think that's why it's going to make for an intriguing matchup is because they both really believe and i i i think it is i think it is real close i think it's something like six five on the money uh, right, right now, just betting sides. Um, but who's the who's the favorite? I, Scott. Paper. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott's the favorite right now. So, okay, let me ask you one question, Mike. Who's got the better up table game? What do you think? I like Chip. I like okay. Chip just because of, of of the way that he grinds the balls. You know, 
and 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 I I've just I've seen a lot more chip lately, you know. And I and I know I said earlier that we've seen a lot of Scott over the last year, but you know Tony was at the beginning of the year, Buffalo's was however many months ago it was like back in May or whatever. So um, Aiken, I don't really put a lot of stock into um, like four and a half inch table one pocket myself. Um, you know I mean Sky Sky won the hot seat. Fedor beats. Scott, do I think Fedor is a better one pocket player than Scott Frost? No, I don't. You know, but it's a tournament, and, and I, I know it's recent. Where we, you know, Chip wasn't even there. Um, I do like Chip's just ability to go and just, like you said, not go and, and sell anything out. Like with Tony, Tony could be up something like six to one, and he's gonna take a flyer that he just don't need to go and take, and all of a sudden it's six six because you took a a bonehead shot, you know. But that's part of like the excitement that you get from uh, uh, Tony, right? Um, whereas Chip, Chip don't do it. You know, he's not going to put himself in in tough positions. Yeah, Nate, I want to I want to switch horses, man. I I, I want to take if we could get six to five, I'd rather bet I'd rather bet Chip. <laughs> and, and here's 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 what I think. I think that Chip, if it goes like thirty four to thirty four, I have seen so many times where it comes down to the wire and Chip close Chip closes out so well. I, I just – and I think that as I run this out of my head again and again and again, uh, I'm not meaning any disrespect for Scott. I just don't think any – I don't know that the world has really seen how good Chip plays this game yet. And if we have, I think that, you know, I think that he's the best player in the world that's not an elite striker. And I actually think it would be a lot of fun for a dream match. I think it would be a lot of fun if he played filler. Look, they need to have microphones on him, number one, because both of them – are, are are liable to go and talk a lot of smack, you know, and there there may be a line on whether or not there's a fight throughout the match because they both can kind of get a little a little heated sometimes, you know. Um, <laughs> but no, I listen. It's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic. It really really is. And from if if you love one pocket, this is a an exciting matchup to go and and, and get because they they both genuinely think that they are worlds ahead of the other one. Like I remember whenever I, I I'd message Scott to go and ask him his top five and he messages me with this big long list and he with facts, not with, I, I think I can do this. I think I can do that. He's giving me like top second or top first or, 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 or championship finishes, like a, a list of them, you know? And I'm like, Scott, make a video, hit record. I want you to tell me this story, not messenger, but with, but with the, the camera on, because the guy is just made for TV, you know, but he's got the game to back it up. And Chip has been, you know, we've seen a lot of Chip lately playing against Tony, who you can go and say is the best one pocket player here in America. I know I'm not going to argue it. Would you? Well, um, I, I actually I have a question. What, how, who have we seen Chip lose to? Have you seen Chip lose? I can't even remember if Chip's ever lost Tony. a match. Tony. Even Tony. Yeah, just lately, yeah, he lost to Tony. Yeah. But I mean, in Louisiana, and this is why like home court advantage means so much, right, boys? I mean, you know, Tony playing in Dallas and Tony playing in at Buffalo was, was a night and day difference. Now, like I said, I know Tony overhauled his style of play that last time. Um, but and this is part of like why Chip has fans as well, because he's got a lot of gamble. He's going to go and travel to you. He's not going to knit up and say, oh, I beat you twice, get nine. eight. I'm not going to play you even. You know, he's going to go and play Tony even at Buffalo's. He's going to go and give Scott what he wants and go play them in Arizona just to make the game happen. That's the kind of player that Chip Compton is, and he thinks he can get there. I think he can get there. It's going to be great. It'll be a, it'll be a fun one. Yeah. Oh, Nate, your mic's your, off. Your, your mic's off. 
Negative. I think I think Nate's it's just right. saying we're, gi- that- we're giving him the boot anyway. Yeah, yeah. We're giving Nate <laughs> the boot anyway. It's all good. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll do it, <laughs> Nate. I want you to move your mouth and I'll speak for you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Chip, you know, Chip Compton is just a better human being than me. Uh, he. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'm not that creative. <laughs> No, okay. Yeah, OmegaBilliards.com. Support Mike and them. They're doing great things. Uh, they kind of had some streaming issues like late and, you know, had to get someone to come in and, and fill in. But Omega Billiards is where you can go and buy the pay-per-view. I know that if you're in the Phoenix area, um, there's still some VIP seating available and you can go and get with um, Phil for that. Um, Hell, I might still fly out there. You never know. It's going to be that good of a matchup, and you're not going to want to miss it. Four days of some fantastic one pocket. So I'm I'm pumped. Very good. Well, I can't hear Nate, and I think that uh, I think we're about set. I mean, Mike, was there anything else that you wanted to cover? Yeah. You mentioned no, no. That's pretty much about it. The American fourteen point one is going on right now. Go check that out. That's uh, free online as well. Um, Hunter and Louis Demarco are playing a big set in Indiana of some one pocket right now, but that's not available online to go and watch. Um, the international opens coming up. So I'm pumped and looking forward for that. And um, yeah, we're going to have a, a new uh, host for the show next week. So that's the, that's really the best news that we've had in, in months. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So, um, well, <laughs> geez, Nate, come on, man. We've got children. We've got, you what know, all your tech stuff, buddy. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to turn Hang on. Watch this. I think I have the ability. Let's see. Ha! <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I'm, I think I'm going to bail. So that was a lot of fun. Um, thanks for participating. And uh, same time next week, I'll probably same time, same place. Uh, the internet. <laughs> Good? Yeah. We'll see you guys. All right. See you next time, guys. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you've liked what you've heard and you want to contribute to the future content that will be made, consider joining the podcast's Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash up. Becoming a Patreon of the podcast will help to create all of the future content that the podcast will have. Special shout out to Dave Peters, Aaron Taylor, Pete Silsby, Morgan Lupton, Ben Young, Robert Miller, Andy Morse, and Bill Pelham for your generous contributions to the podcast's Patreon. If you ever need any more information on what the Patreon system is or how you can contribute outside of the Patreon, please reach out to the podcast or Nate himself. If you would like to contribute to the podcast for free, consider sharing any podcasts or the podcast page on Facebook itself. Also, leaving a review and a rating if you listen through iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Cue It Up podcast.